0: Good morning, again. If you would, you can take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 John. Uh, 1 John, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse adventure through 1 John. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, last week. So 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to move into the next few verses, verses 16, 17, 18. I may throw 19 in there with it, but we'll definitely get 19 next week. But uh, Lord willing, that is, always qualify things by Lord willing. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit gives a different direction. Okay, getting son, that's just the way that is. And some of you may have come today and thought, I would get a Father's Day message today. Not unless God said you're getting a Father's Day message today. Okay, I don't preach by the calendar. If those of you that learn me, I try to preach by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God usually directs me through uh, books of the Bible, and then occasionally bounces me out of them around to different passages for us to look at verse by verse, line by line, precept by precept, because it is His Word that we desperately need. Okay, not not a cute little Father's Day message. Mother's Day message. Uh, But we need a message that is from the Scriptures. And sometimes that is a Father's message. Sometimes that is a Mother's message. But not today. So let's look at First John chapter number 3. Let's read together, um, beginning in verse 16. Uh, By this we know... Love that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let n- us not love in word or talk but indeed, and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. This is God's Word. Let's pray together again. Father, Lord, we thank You for the revealed truth that you give us in the Bible. Father, we thank you that the Bible is a book like no other. That the Bible, in its original form, was breathed out by you in the pens of imperfect man. You breathed out your perfect Word. And God, we need not wonder what you expect of us. We need not wonder... Uh, Who you are because you have revealed who you are and what you expect out of us in your scriptures. And so, Father, we thank you this morning that, uh, Lord, you not only told us, as you did last week, that, uh, Father, love qualifies true Christianity, true salvation, that it is a characteristic of those that have truly been born again. Lord, You have gone on and You have shown us what love looks like, this love that You're talking about in 1 John chapter 3. And so, Father, I pray that, God, You would plant this Word deep within our hearts. And, Father, I pray that You would loose our spirits, that we might rightly respond and better conform to this love that is pictured in this passage. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. American culture is seriously confused when it comes to the issue of love. We are confused over the concept of love. People take the word love and we bounce it back and forth like a ping pong ball. It's, we, we We have such diversity of usages of the word that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what is meant by true love. What is meant by biblical love. What is is meant by love in particular in the passage that we read. Some people think love is simply an emotion. It's just a feeling that I get. Uh, some people think love is something that puts butterflies in my stomach. And there are types and forms of love that may do that. Some people may think love is, is, is absolutely meeting the material needs of someone. And that plays a role in that, obviously, a little bit from this text. Um, some people, they, they, we use the word in a lot of different ways. We, some people say, well, I, I love. I love football. I I mean, I love Alabama football. Roll Tide. I love um, ice cream. I love vanilla ice cream. I love... Um, you know, uh, I love my job, I love this, I love that. And we use it about all kinds of things. And it's okay to use it in those kinds of ways, not saying there's anything wrong with that, but in all the many ways that we use the term love, we really are confused about what is truly meant by the issue of true and genuine love like we read about here in a passage. Um, The Irish preacher, David Legge, uh, made a comment to his congregation once about this confusion with love today, Um, and I think he is absolutely right. Let me share with you his words. He says, and I quote, If we take all the modern definitions of love... We can see that there is a trend running through them all. And it's simply this. That love in some shape or form is understood as being something that gives you self-gratification. It is something that blesses you. It's something that gives you a buzz. It's something that gives you a worthwhile feeling. A sense of gaining and getting, end quote. And he hit the nail right on the head. You see, our ideas about love are tainted by the worldliness that is in our brains at times. The, the, the center of the world's philosophy is, guess what, is self. And that self, that idea of self, but that everything's about me, 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 my rights, my wants. It taints our understanding. And it can overshadow our concept about what the Bible is actually talking about when it talks about love. You see, when we come to the Bible and we read things like, we're to love the brothers, or we read things like, we're to love our neighbor or we read things like we're to love our enemies or we read things like we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. When we read things like that, we are crippled by the worldliness that impacts our minds and we're bombarded with it. Everywhere you look, this, this idea of love that ultimately comes back to the gratification of self. And it hinders us, I think. We're confused by the false way of thinking that we find in the world. Um, all this confusion with love in our culture means that we have trouble understanding passages like, especially like what we read last week. Where we read that, that this love being in our lives is evidence that we have passed from death to life. In other words, it's, it's evidence that we've really been saved. <laughs> that we have been born of God. The Scripture said, if any man says they love God, yet they hate their brother, hate being the opposite of this love, that if any man says they love God and hate their brother, well, that man's a liar. He's a murderer. And we know the truth is not in him. That's God's Word. That's, that's, that's Bible Word. And so we, 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 we need to know what this means. Uh, we need to know because it is an important thing. We need to know, are our lives being conformed to this love? Because if our lives are not growing in conformity to this love, again, I remind you, nobody models it perfectly, but we should be growing into conformity to this love. If we're not growing in conformity to this love, do not kid yourself. You need to be born of God. So we 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 need to to wrestle with this and and, and make sure we 're understanding things correctly and so last week, I told you that John was specifically talking about a specific type of love. I told you there are different Greek terms that are used in the original that get translated love in the English. And in this passage and in many other passages, the word that is being employed here is the word agape. Agape. Agape love, that, that, that agape love is the highest expression of what is meant by love. That sacrificial, it is an unconditional, it is a supernatural love. It is a spirit-formed love. It is the greatest expression of love. Paul said, for example, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 13, he says down about verse number 13, he says, So faith, hope, and love abide. Agape abide. These three. But the greatest of these is agape love. That is what he's talking about when he says that this love qualifies us as being true Christian or not. As he was explicitly talking about last week. Back up in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And we saw that. We dealt with that. Now, only Jesus perfectly models this. We're growing in conformity to that. That love that we're growing in conformity to and we want to see more and more and more and more and more in our life and we should be seeing more and more and more and more in our life is beautifully pictured by Paul in that chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul gives us some functional definitions of agape love. Paul says, beginning in verse 4, he says, agape is patient, love is patient and kind, Love, agape, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. See, that's diametrically opposed to the world system. Okay, It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth... Love, agape, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, agape, never ends. And then I could couple it on down with verse 13 that I already told you. So uh, now faith, hope, and agape abide. But the greatest of these is agape love. Now, we need to be growing to reflect that. Jesus' perfect model of that. We're not perfect Jesus, but the seeds of agape should be within us and we should be growing to better express agape in our lives. If we've been Christians 20 and 30 years and we don't reflect more agape than we did when we first came to Christ, something is spiritually wrong. And it's up to you to wrestle with God. To figure out what that is. Perhaps you will find. You don't know God. But that's between you and him. And the gospel. That changes and transforms hearts. Now. I'm rattling off a Greek word agape. I want to remind you of something before we really begin to sink into the text we read. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand what the Bible is communicating. Okay? I I think it is great to know something about the original languages. I think it's great to, to wrestle with those things. But I also want you to know That you don't have to be a Greek scholar to come to the understanding of what Paul, or actually John is writing, what Paul was writing about in 1 Corinthians and what John is writing about in his book 1 John. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand that. All you need is the Holy Spirit. Now let me qualify that. I do not mean that you just sit back and just say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me exactly what this means, and you just sit back and do nothing. That's lazy boy Christianity, and that's not Christianity. You, if the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you a text of Scripture, you've got to wrestle with it. You've got to let it bruise you. You've got to to get in there and chew on it. You've got to work with it. You've got to meditate with it. And you've got to read it and reread it and read it in its passage. Read it in its context. Read it because here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit always reveals the truth within the context of a passage of Scripture. And He will never violate it. And when God breathed out His Word, He breathed out His Word in such a way that with the Holy Spirit, you can see the context in which things are setting. Because as I've told you many, 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 many times, and I'll tell you again, context is king. It rules when you're interpreting Scripture. And it just so happens that the context of verse 16, 17, and 18 specifically that we read this morning. You see, it gives us insight. It gives us insight to the love that was talked about up in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Because we read about this love last week. And now we get here and we're seeing what the flesh Of this love looks like it's just put on the bare bones of what we were told in the previous passage last week. You fit it in its context. And you begin to see and you begin to understand what he's talking about here. So, just like last week... I told you that you can say you love God. I echoed chapter 4, actually, where uh, he says you can say I love God, but if you hate your brother, you're a liar. Well, the the same principle is true in our passage this week. Anybody can say they love their brother and still hate him and be a liar. So, when we come to verse 16, 17, and 18 specifically, uh, verse 19 we may tack on, we'll see. The essence of that text, the essence of that passage, the essence of it is that true love, agape love, is verified and qualified in deed and in truth. indeed and in truth. Thus I title this message, True Love is Qualified by Deed and Truth. Last week, we saw true Christianity is qualified by love. This week, true love is qualified by deed and truth. You want to say you love? Well, let's see what love should look like. Let's see what agape should look like. Let's see... What we're talking about, and if we're reflecting any of this that we see in verse 16, 17, and 18, then according to verse 19, the effect of that is we can reassure our hearts before God. And it gives us sweet, sweet assurance of the reality of our salvation experience. Now, there are some main observations that I would show you. Three or four of them. We'll see. The first observation that I I would show you in this text is we see the example of true love. The example of the agape way. We see that in verse 16. Let me read it to you again. John says, By this we know love. Okay, in other words, by this, by what? By what I'm about to tell you, we know, we're convinced, we're assured, this is what love is. Again, I remind you, it's not by His opinion, it's not by your opinion, it's not by my opinion, it's by what was written. By this, we know love. Agape. By this, by what? That He, He who? He, Jesus. That He laid down His life for us and we ought to do or lay down our lives for the brothers. Boom. Now what are we getting at? Well, the Holy Spirit moves John to pin the supreme example of this supreme love, which was Jesus. Okay. Okay. Which is Jesus and what Jesus has done. True love, agape love, always moves the lover to give or act on behalf of the beloved. We see that perfectly in Jesus. You know the verse. Every loss person on every street corner just about knows the verse in America or in the South anyway. John 3.16 For God so agape the world that what? He gave. Acted. Gave his only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So there you see he Gave, there's agape is leading to an action. Okay. Agape is leading to an action. Romans 5, verse 8. For God demonstrated his agape. God demonstrated his love in this while we, we were still sinners. Christ died. He gave. He gave. Again, reclarifying what the example of John 3 and verse 16. This giving of one's life is the ultimate expression of agape. And often, in the early church, it happened. Believers willing to give their physical life for their brothers. You know, I can think of the uh, multitudes of examples, but I, I know of one in Romans where it talks about how uh, Aquila and Priscilla risked their lives, put their, their lives at risk for the sake of Paul. They were willing to die for it. They are willing to give it all up. Um, and certainly this risk of losing your life is always there. But, this text is not saying that we cannot truly love without dying physically for another. Okay? Although we must be willing to do that if we truly have agape, it's not saying that's the only way and ultimate way you can express agape. Okay? We give up of ourselves and can do that in a thousand different ways, for our brethren and our sisterin. <laughs> when Paul talks about brothers or John talks about brothers, he means the sisters too. We can do that in a hundred million other ways. Matter of fact, this agape love often calls us towards another death. Matter of fact, I would suggest to you, this death is harder, is harder than physically dying. So often the way we love others is by putting to death self and not imposing self on the other. But are selflessly giving of ourselves to the other to meet their need. We all, I I know I can grow in that. And every one of us needs to be growing in that. But that is also agape in the giving up of one's life. The early church was renowned renowned for this love. It's what distinguished them so uniquely from the pagan culture around them. I remember reading about the emperor Hadrian of Rome during the second century. He called a a a guy by the name of aristides to his into his um council chamber and wanted to know what he thought of these radicals out there that they're calling christians and this is how he defined a christian and i'll quote him from the historical record said this they love one another they never failed to help widows they save orphans from those who would hurt them. They have something they give if they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him um, home and are happy as and, and take him to their home and are happy with him as if he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Holy Spirit, end quote. It's radically different. This self-sacrificing of one for the good of another. Where is that love today? The church ought to be overflowing with that kind of a love. But where is it? So often kill that flying ant. (laughs) I didn't love that ant. Uh, Where is that love? Where is it? Why do we not see it so much? And then when I speak of the church, I'm talking about the church at large. I'm talking about the church wherever you find the church in name. Where, where is this love? Is it because we haven't had enough teaching? I don't think so. Some of you ought to be PhDs in theology by now. Is it because we haven't had the right discipleship training course? Is it because LifeWay hasn't put together the right curriculum to help us to love like this? Is that why? I know it's not because of that. Why is it? You want to know why it's rare? It's because in our culture... In our church culture, the new birth is rare. It's rare because we have so many in our culture, the church culture, that are Christian in name only. I'll tell you why it's rare. It's rare because Jesus said, few, narrow is the road that leads to life, and few are they that find it. It's rare because so many have gone through some man centered, man made ritual, and some well meaning but misguided preacher told them because they went through the ritual they're saved now and forever. When both of them might be damned to hell. And say, that's harsh, Scott. I have to be a slave to the text. Jesus would say that. Paul would say that. John is saying that. I'm just an errand boy. I must echo that. Now, moving from verse 16 into verse 17, we get a negative example here. And we see the exclusion... We've seen the example. Now we see the exclusion of true love in the agape way. The verse 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And so here's the epitome of a religious person saying, Oh, I love you. But refusing to lift a finger to help meet your need. That is a contradiction within itself. Now I will... I may come at you with a whip in one moment, but I can come at you with soft words in the next. I will say this, and I commend you here at Valdosta Baptist Church as a whole, you're a very loving group of people. Often you're willing to sacrificially give to help meet the needs of someone, even when you may not have much. I'm not just saying that to say that, but I know in my own experience, when between having a... A job and education discontinued and, until I, you know, the Lord provided me with the, the full-time chaplain job with a the Um There were some hard times there in, 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 in my life. And, it's, and that's okay. God meant to bring me through that to help me depend on Him. But in that time, you guys were graciously, lovingly, and, and just gave above and beyond. That was agape. I was the recipient of agape. You know? And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Words will never let you know how much me and my family, we appreciate that. But whenever you see a brother in need and you just close your heart to him, something's the matter. There's something anti-agape about that. There's something not right about that. That doesn't at least burden you. Remember what James said over in, in the book of James? James said over in James chapter 2 in a section of Scripture where he's talking about true faith and false faith. Where he's talking about a faith that can be demonic because even the demons believe yet they tremble and shudder before God. In chapter 2 verse 19 he lets us know that. But in chapter 2 verse Fifteen, He says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that is needed for the body, what good is that? So also I tell you, faith, if it does not have works, oh, it's dead. End quote. So, you see, We see where that agape is absent, where it is excluded. And that is when people just love in in words only, but do not support those words by meeting practical needs. Now, we come to verse 18. Verse 18, we see... Those of you that are taking notes, I guess I'd tell you this is the exhortation to love truly. Um, in verse 18, he says this, Little children, remember little children, he's writing to children of God, not children of the devil. He's saying, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now this, verse 18 This is what I would tell you is the force of this whole passage. Because here we've been given a positive example of what it is. When we saw the example of agape, we've been given a negative example of what it is not. When we saw the exclusion of agape in in an instance, and now we're given this exhortation. This is the force of it because this is telling us what we ought to be doing. This is defining for us in practical terms how we ought to be living out this awesome, high, supernatural concept called agape love. He's telling us. He's telling us. And He's telling us also in a way that is often misunderstood. Often misunderstood. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What's he saying? Well, some people think that agape love is, is seen in deeds only. And that words are not important and play no role. But this verse actually confirms for us that agape, the agape way, is expressed in both. So let's. Think about this. It's both. You know, I've seen the little tags, and I've 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 mentioned them before, but it just really it, it's one of my pep's peas because I think that is so wrong. It sounds so right, but it's so wrong. Those little bumper tags that say, preach the gospel, use words as necessary. How are you going to preach without using words? I'm going to suggest you, how are you really going to love sinners without using words? And if that is true, what I'm saying, how does that fit into this passage? Well, to me, it's very clear. Again, let's think about verse 18 and it's, Context. Okay. First he says, let us not love in word or talk. What is the context of word or talk? Well, based on the context of the preceding verse, I would suggest to you that it's the same way it's used by Paul in one of his letters to Timothy. That it's word or talk is, is in reference to empty talk. It's just Talk. So I love you, but there's nothing, there's no substance to it. There's no legs to it. Um, Do you say, I love you, when we won't lift a finger to meet the need? Like we saw in James. Then he says, we don't want to love like that empty talk, but we want to love indeed And in truth, well, first let's think about deed because there are those that want to say it's all about deeds and what you do. And words play no role. But that is wrong. So, what's he saying? What's What's he saying in this text? Is he saying that agape is only seen in the deed? He is not saying that agape is seen in deeds only some foolishly think that if you feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give shelter to the homeless if you do those things you forget fulfilled agape love and i tell you that you have not deeds alone are never love you remember that passage out of uh 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where I read to you about the functionality of agape love. Do you know what Paul said? I didn't read this up above that. Paul said in verse 3, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, you can give everything you've got materially to the poor and you can give up your life for people but still not have agape love so it's not talking about agape's only in deeds only it's bigger than that it's in deed what's the language of the text it's indeed and in truth. It's indeed and in truth. If it's indeed only, it's not agape. If it's in truth only, it's not agape. But if it's indeed and in truth, it's agape. And that, little children, is how we are to love. Okay? That is how we are to love. Well, what is truth? It's aletheia in the Greek. It means that which is right, that which is true. It's the same word that the same John used in his gospel. Chapter 17, verse 17, where Jesus was praying. And he says, Lord, sanctify them in the aletheia. Truth, your word is aletheia truth your word is truth your word is truth so i am convinced that deeds are empty if they're not coupled with speaking the truth in love and i don't want you to ever think that words of truth are a lesser love but truthless deeds are definitely a lesser love let me help you see this in scripture I want you to see from scriptural examples that speaking words is absolutely important to loving. Okay, To agape-ing. For example, it is with the mouth that everlasting joy is imparted. The Bible says in John 17... St. John, in chapter 17, where we saw that use of truth, if you digress back up to verse 13, Jesus said, These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Wow. What's he speaking? Well, every time he speaks, he's speaking the very Word of God. He is speaking. He's doing that. Every time. Guys, feeding the hungry with food is absolutely important in its gospel ministry. But only feeding the hungry with food is not agape. I would suggest to you, and I'm not suggesting it because it is what I do, it is what I have been graciously privileged and called to do by God, but I would suggest to you that the highest level of feeding the hungry is the speaking of the Word of God. I feed the hungry every Sunday. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Preaching is highly important. But preaching only must be coupled by other things too. You know, one of the things when when I was pastor at the First Baptist Church of Cherokee... Somewhere in the middle of, of my time there, we began what we called Compassion Outreach Ministries, which was a food, clothing ministry that we we gave. Listen, it was one of the larger food and clothing ministries in northwest Alabama. We, we took in people all the way from uh, Muscle Shoals, Tuscumbia, across into the foreign nation of Mississippi, and Iyuka, and Tishomingo, and all that area, and we provided them with food and clothing. Why? It's biblical. But we didn't just provide them with food and clothing. Once a month, when they would come together to obtain these things, the Word of God was proclaimed to them. People that may never enter, a door of a, never enter the door of a church. So we couple those two things together, because I I think that is a biblical thing. I mean, you know, if the church would focus on meeting practical needs and spiritual needs, we'd put the government out of business. Do, Do you hear me? It's not the government's responsibility to feed the hungry. It's the church's. problem is, too many are too lazy to get off their hind parts to do anything about it. And we just want to murmur and complain about how people don't deserve it. But that's not agape. (laughs) Anyway. we see also, you know, with the mouth everlasting joy is imparted. We see with the mouth faith is awakened. For faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. With the mouth courage imparts profitable things. I, uh, In Acts 20.20 20 we read, I dare not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Um, with the mouth comes blessing. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 14. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and Do not curse them. Um, uh, With the mouth, grace is given. Uh, Paul writes the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29. He says, Let no corrupting talk, that would be empty talk, Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear it. Um, uh, We will be judged by our words, um, and and as much as we will be judged by the deeds of our actions. He goes on and he says, we're told in Matthew chapter twelve, verses thirty six and thirty seven, Jesus said this: On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And then to marry it all together, we see in the very words of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 15, we see this marriage of deed and speaking the Word. Deed and truth. When Paul writes this in chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, he says, "For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By who what? By word and deed." By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way around the world, I have fulfilled the ministry of the Gospel of Christ. And how has He fulfilled the ministry of the Gospel of Christ? By speaking the Word. And I tell you, it's the truth. And by His deed. And so they're both together. That is the expression of agape. How is your agape? In verse 19, we see the effect of loving truly. By this, by this what? By loving like this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. This is God's Word. Wow. I would say to you saints, let's struggle together as a community of faith, encouraging one another along the way to put to death self more and more. And encourage one another in our conformity to the agape that was expressed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Little children, let us encourage one another to love not in word or talk only, empty word or talk, but indeed and in truth. That final phrase is heavy. It is the weight of the command helping us to understand. And to any who are here, any who might hear this via podcast or on YouTube, any, if there is no desire to love, no desire to love the brothers. No desire to love in the agape way. And I tell you, do not kid yourself. By the testimony of God's word, you are lost. Church member maybe, but lost. Lost. May you humble yourself. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus alone. Call on the name of the Lord in faith. He's mighty to save, He will not turn you away. Repent. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Salvation. I say it every Sunday. Is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Because that's what the Word alone teaches. Follow the book. Not what some preacher, some evangelist told you. Unless they were a preacher of God's Word and an evangelist conforming to the Scripture. All we need, the last thing we need, let me rephrase, the last thing we need is another denominational convert who hasn't been converted to the God of all creation. We need people that are born of God's Spirit. And I pray that if that is you, you will be shaken to your core and brought to your knees and cry out to Jesus, He's mighty to save you. If He can save Paul, the apostle, killing Christians, He can save you. If He can save me in all of my selfishness, in all of my being consumed with me, if He can save me, He can save you. If He can save me, who is walking straight down a path to intellectual agnosticism, He can save you and show you the beauty of Jesus Christ. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to save. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed.